and welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. Our mission is to make government contracting better one contract at a time. This is the podcast for people and companies who want to learn about the government market from the unique perspective of the contracting officer. If you are a contracting officer, you'll learn more about industry's perspective. So whichever side you're on, join us and learn what the other side is thinking during a government acquisition. Okay, here we go. Hey, Kevin, today we're going to talk about two-step sealed bids. We are. This is another one of those unique things inside the FAR that most people don't know about. We spend a lot of time talking about traditional FAR Part 15 proposals and source selections. The FAR also allows for sealed bids when, when the requirements are clear. And the part that's a little less known is the FAR also has a process that's called two-step sealed bids and for once it is exactly what it sounds like there's no acronyms (laughs) here it actually is sealed bids but with two steps it's essentially sealed bids but it allows the government to evaluate different technical approaches when when the specs or requirements aren't completely clear so sealed bid it says give us your price for this if if you need a little more detail then you can do this two-step thing. It allows you to evaluate a technical proposal, then deal with the pricing later. It is a really good way to find a halfway house between FAR 13 and FAR 15. So it's, a, it's an interesting one to kick around. So what time zone are we in? So this is, this is the RFP zone and the source selection zone. I would say you might be able to think about this during the zone one and two, the requirement zone and the market research zone. But it's really, it's, it's once you're right in the RFP, you pick that, you, you lock in on that strategy and then you do your source selection. But it's, a, it's the two-step sealed bid process, not, it's a different type of source selection than, than FAR 15 that we usually talk about. And it goes a whole lot faster. I'm going to do a little reading here just to uh, set the stage. But 14501 says, this is the definition, two-step sealed bidding is a combination of competitive procedures designed to obtain the benefits of sealed bidding when adequate specifications are not available. And what they're trying to lead you to here is you do two-step sealed bidding the first time you buy something. That helps lock in the requirements so that you can just do conventional sealed bidding after that. So the reason that you want to do two steps is that, just like we kicked around, if it's something simple, I need to buy this desk, this exact specification, it's this big, it's metal, etc. Give me a price. When you really, really commoditize the heck out of something, that's what a sealed bid, that's why most people don't like sealed bid, right? Because it feels like you're just buying a commodity, and we all like to, to add some fluff and, 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 and more decision and thinking to things. Well, the two-step sealed bid allows for that, because it's saying... It allows need- for fluff? It allows for a little bit of fluff, yeah, because <laughs> there's thinking going on in the technical evaluation. Because if you think about it, sealed bid, doesn't sound like any fluff at all. It, it, it almost sounds like impersonal. While two-step sealed bid adds that a little bit of personality to it. It's not all the way to a best value, but then again, it's not the same amount of work <laughs> and other issues as a FAR 15 best value source selection. So it's a, it's a nice halfway house. And it's a, my favorite reason to talk about it is this is one of those things that's in the FAR, and it's, it's, it's faster when you get stuff done, this, you can get stuff done faster. <laughs> All right, I'm going to read 14501A and B. It tells you step one is the request for the sealed bid, the submission and evaluation of the step one technical proposal, and if you have to, you could go to discussions on it, but no pricing is involved. 501B says step two involves the submission of sealed price bids by those who submitted acceptable 
technical proposals in step one, and we'll talk about what that means in a minute. First, <laughs> as I'm rifling through the far here, 14502, there's five things that must be true for you to do a two-step sealed bid. Number one, spec is not definitive or complete, so you couldn't really pick a winner without technical evaluation or some some discussions of the technical aspects to ensure that that government and the industry both understand exactly what they want to buy and what therefore to price. And let me let me chime in, chime in here on the idea of why we do the podcast is to get people to communicate. This is one of those times where during this phase, this is a chance to communicate because they're looking for a mutual understanding of what the technical requirement is. But there's no reason to get in. Okay, there's not no reason. In this case, there's there's no reason to go into price. Let's not distract ourselves with price yet. And that's the whole point here is that we don't really know exactly how this is going to play out. We want to get a mutual understanding of what the requirement is. Think, it's almost like a think of it like a really fancy draft RFP where you're just trying to make sure that we understand the same place. Let's start at the same. Let's start at the same location before we start negotiating on price. Yep. That's just a better way to do business. That's a good way to describe it. So. Again, number one must be true is that you don't have a complete spec. Number two. Right. What's number two? Number two is that you can actually define the criteria of how you're going to evaluate the technical proposals. Number three is you have more than one technically qualified source. So so you think, it, you can't guarantee that, but you think you'll have more than one bidder. Number four is you have sufficient time to do two-step because it takes a little longer than just opening up sealed bids. And number five is you can only do it firm fixed priced or firm fixed price the economic price adjustment, but that's more complicated than we need to talk about. <laughs> and let, let me jump on number four for a second. The sufficient time will be available. That's in there. This is one of those things that pops out to me as a contracting officer. That's in there because they're, that's in the context of how long it would take to just do a sealed bid. If you think, if you zoom out a little bit further and thinking just the overall FAR, the amount of time it would take to do something similar to this in FAR Part 15, is still going to be a lot longer. So that, that's one of those, think in the context of why they wrote this. They wrote this saying, do you have the time to do this two-step based on if you only had time to do one step, not based on what it would take you to do it in FAR Part 15 or to, to do a multiple award. You know, it, there are lots of other options. But think in terms of, is there enough time to do that second step? And if the answer is yes, which there should be, because I mean, I, the ones I've done, less than a month. This is faster. <laughs> Step one, why it's important. What does the FAR say about step one that, that you need to know? This makes me laugh. The FAR actually says step one should be completed quickly. It doesn't say shall or will, and it doesn't say what quickly means. It just says should be complete, completed quickly, which is like just sort of uh, a weak encouragement. <laughs> <laughs> step one, you go through the same things as in a usual sealed bid or even even a FAR 15 uh, proposal that you, you got to tell them what what to propose. The important part is that you tell the offers in step one that if your technical proposal in step one isn't acceptable, you're not going to get to submit a price proposal. You'll be eliminated there. So it's sort of like that competitive range determination that we talked about before. You also tell the offers that we are going to evaluate what what you submit only, and we may decide based solely on what you submit whether or not you're acceptable, but we reserve the right to go to discussions to discuss those proposals if we need more 
clarity in what you're trying to say. Again, the intent is you get the bids, you say who's acceptable and who's not, you move on. But if you need a little more time, you need to figure it out, you can go to discussions. And the foot stomper here throughout this whole process is there's no pricing involved yet. So that, that, that whole process you just described is somewhat similar to, like you even mentioned, the competitive range determination. That's somewhat similar to how the FAR 15 process works and you know, how a, had a, a standard source selection works. Except in this context here, we're talking through the, a lot of the same elements with no pricing. Right. And think about how much just, you know, you, you, you're the, those of you who listen who are, are pricers, <laughs> you're going, yay, this is kind of cool. But as an evaluator, you don't have to pull in a pricer to look it over. You don't have to think about from a, you have a general idea from a budgetary perspective, but you don't have to get into that discussion. And it, it, I, I can't, I don't think I can honestly foot stomp enough how much time contractors, contracting officers, program managers struggle with the idea of how do we price this? How do we, how do we get a totally evaluated price? All that stuff, you, you're skipping that. And it's smarter. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll stop. <laughs> so last thing about step one before we move on. You, you need to tell – if you're the government, you need to tell the offers. The, you need to tell industry that whether they can s- submit one proposal or multiple proposals, and you got to be clear about that. The FAR actually says that it is generally in the government's interest to authorize multiple proposals. And uh, what do you think about that, Kevin? Is it generally in your interest to say, <laughs> give me all of your guesses at what we want to buy or give me your best yeah, that's a that's an efficiency exercise that I would say this one I'm gonna I'm gonna lock horns with the far and say yeah you don't want more than one proposal if you can help it. So again, this is one of those things that this is the shadow of a standard sealed bid playing over because if you had a sealed bid and they said you know give me give me this car I need a a, a I don't know a, a Ford F one fifty with the following conditions or the following features <laughs> and you know, what's your price? You may have multiple prices for that because you may have one that's blue and one that's black and one that has leather seats and. Th- that's where that mindset comes from. But we don't want that here. We're, that's the whole point of communicating in that first step right. is let's just get one really good one. So I, I, now, again, it says, it says it is generally in the government's interest. I'm going to disagree with that here because, you know, why not? But regardless of all that, it doesn't say you have to. So right. and, and to, to your point, it specifically says you can just – you, the contracting officer, can tell industry I only want one proposal. And you – You've solved that problem right out of the gate. I understand why they say it's in the government's interest to authorize multiple proposals, but it's, also it's, ha- it's contrary to everything that, that, that we stand for. Yeah, efficiency. <laughs> uh, all right. They don't, yeah, the person that wrote that probably has never had a source selection. <laughs> 40 proposals come in. So when you get to rating the proposals, it's important to know that for this two-step sealed bidding process, there's there, you only get three ways to rate the step one technical proposals. It's either acceptable or unacceptable. Or the third, it's actually <laughs> the second, but I only acceptable and unacceptable work for me. The middle ground is reasonably susceptible of being made acceptable, which is sort of hard to say. Susceptible and acceptable, hard to say back and forth. That's where you go to discussions. It, the way I look at it, if you got a bunch of proposals and there are at least two, preferably three, acceptable, and the rest are either un- clearly unacceptable or reasonably susceptible of being acceptable, just go with the three acceptable ones. You have adequate competition and move on. I can see you going to discussions if you got one acceptable proposal 
and one or more that are close to it. So you, you want to actually have some price competition when you get the go to step two. Or if nobody was quite – was clearly acceptable but there's people that are pretty close that you just need to talk to them a little bit to make sure that both sides understand exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and this is this – is- it's ironic that we're talking about the effectively having experience of discussions and negotiations in a, in, a steel, in a sealed bid. And that's why this is such an interesting model because it allows you to still do the thinking. Because when you, people hear sealed bid and like the, the hair on the back of their neck stands up and they just assume, oh, yeah, that's a non-thinking exercise. And that's why this is such a big deal because right here we're showing reasonably susceptible. This, again, you didn't make that up. It's written in there. Reasonable, reasonably susceptible of being made acceptable. It specifically is saying you got to make a judgment call. This is a thinking exercise, and that's that's what makes this a really useful tool. Two-step sealed bidding is actually very close to how most people buy things in real life, in in your own life. Yeah, let me, let me give you an example. I bought a Ford Expedition recently, and as as you can imagine, there's. That a lot more process went into it than most people think about. But really what we did is we said we needed a vehicle that can do the following things. It needs to be big enough to haul seven people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it all came down to, after I went through all the different vehicles, came down to, okay, we want a Ford Expedition with the following characteristics and one of the three, one of these three colors. And then I went to, out to the dealers and I asked who has the best price. That's really kind of what we're describing here is I went and talked to each one of them. I mean, I did a whole bunch of market research. I got, I got feedback from them. Their technical proposal was here's the vehicles that we have. This is, you know, this is, this is what's available from you. This is the service package we can offer, et cetera, et cetera. And then from that, I said, give me your lowest price. And if you think about it, that's how you're, you probably buy most of the things that, that once you decide what you need, you're going to be shopping on price. And that's this kind of relates to the, the lowest price technically acceptable concept in that once you decide on your technical acceptability, you're shopping on price. Even in a, even in a full far part 15 source selection, once you get down through the competitive range and you have three companies who are all blue and all have great past performance, you're shopping on price. So that theme is everywhere. It's just we're cranking it out as fast as we can here. So just think about how that theme applies, and that's really what you're trying to, to work your way through, is that before you get into price, make sure that this is meeting your actual technical spec, and then go into price. So step one, if you narrowed it down to three dealers that each have an expedition on their lot that meets all the requirements, those expeditions might still have slightly different features. One might have the eight-speaker subwoofer system. One might have the basic radio. If you don't care about that piece of it, when it comes time, it, it, they're going to meet the threshold because it has some type of, of musical device in it. When you get your price bids, the guy with the eight-speaker expedition might not be able to price it as low as the guy with the basic one. And, and this is the key difference here is that unlike – in a best value source selection where someone says, well, I'll give you the eight speaker system, even though it wasn't your requirement, I'll give it to you as a discount for an extra 500 bucks. In a sealed two-step sealed bid, you can't do that. You can't go up in price. You, you have said, this is my requirement. I can't go to best value after this. When they come in with their prices, that's the, that, that's the key difference. But if you think about it, if, if the requirement is, is written well enough, which it should be from this whole exercise, and they've, everybody's seen it and we've clarified what it is, that risk of not being able to to get you know, the super cool version for an extra five thousand dollars or whatever, 
is worth the fact that you're getting this done faster. And by the way, you didn't have to deal with any pricing until the end. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll keep foot stomping that all day long. So step two is the pricing part. Only offers who submitted acceptable technical proposals get to go to step two. When you go to step two, you have to bid the price for what you actually submitted for step one. You can't say, uh, here's my price, but it's but I'm going to add the eight, eight speaker thing here even though I didn't have it in step one. You have to actually bid what you proposed. And the next trick is they, they, step two doesn't get synopsized. Only the people that were part of step one get an announcement that it's time for step two. It doesn't go back uh, out for the world to see. The interesting part here in step two is you ha- the government has to publish the names of the firms that, that submitted acceptable proposals in step one. So the FAR says it's for the benefit of prospective subcontractors. I don't know if it's really for the benefit of that. But you should know, industry, that if your proposal is considered acceptable and you get to go to step two, everybody else that submitted is going to get to know that you made it to step two. And maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. The good part about that is I would ask the question, what are you afraid of? Um, it's good business intelligence to know who your real competitors are. It also tells you if a company that you know is always going to be less expensive than you is in that list, then you may decide not to go to <laughs> step two. Or the other side of that, you know you can beat all, all three of the companies that are in that list. Therefore, it really makes sense for you to keep going. That, that's a, this, you know this, how competitive your pricing has to be. Yeah, exactly. There's, a, there's, <laughs> there's some value in that. Now, the cynic says, well, that's not really fair because you're sharing you know, the information of these people. Well, but what's, how is that not fair? Is that you the actually want the best price. So think about it from a business perspective. You cleared out all the other competitors except for these few, and you know who they are. That's a good thing. I mean, think as opposed to just what the other option is you're sitting there going, uh, okay, we're in the competitive range, but I have no idea. Well, not, it's not called the competitive range. You're in step two. <laughs> See, there I am. You're, you made it to step two, and you have no idea who your competitors are, so you're just guessing. Let's not guess, right? So that's, that, that's an interesting little nit that I remember this, and we did it. We had three companies, and it, it kind of felt awkward at first to put them out there. And then the more I, I went through this exercise in my brain of why is this a bad thing? And none of them minded. In fact, one of them didn't bid out of the three because I and, I, and I'm guessing here, but I'm thinking it was because of that. They looked at that and said, you know, we, we know both of those companies. They're, 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 we're not going to be able to beat them on price. So saved us even more time and saved <laughs> them more time. See, that, it's, it's just a, I keep finding more reasons to like it. Perfect segue to why should the government and industry care? Tell me why the government should care about two-step sealed, two-step sealed bidding. So my, my favorite example is that this is a tool that already exists. The second reason I love it is that it, it, you can award faster. It, this is a faster way to get stuff done because you don't have to evaluate all of the pricing pieces of it. And you get more done. The biggest challenge as a contracting officer is often more stuff to do than time to do it. And if you can get something done even a, a, a week faster, <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to help you. Another example is that you can't be upsold. And what I mean by that is during negotiations, during a competitive range determination on a FAR Part 15, somebody says, well, I want to give you this. They come back with their, with their final proposal, and they offer you something that, while valuable, isn't necessarily something that you need or want because they gave you, I don't know, like five extra units or they gave, they're going to deliver it a week earlier or whatever. And you decide that that's not something that's valuable to us, and that's a whole exercise that we could get into at a different time. But the point is that discussion, I've had this discussion during debriefing. Somebody said, hey, we gave you all this extra training and you didn't give us a, an additional value for it. And now we're having a debate during the debriefing of I, 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 I didn't see any value in it. 
you, you avoid that whole conversation on both sides. Because yeah. you as a, you as the industry don't have to go, well, maybe if we give them this, they'll like us. Right. You don't like getting sucked into that vortex, which saves you time. I, I totally agree. I'm, th- I'm thinking of if you are the government contracting officer, you can protect yourself from the users here because if you do a best value source selection, they always want the best possible technical solution that you have to weigh against the increased price that often comes with that better technical solution. So this cuts that off and says, no, no, here's the requirement. We're taking the best price that meets that requirement. We're not going to fall in love with all these extra things that are nice to have that cost more that we're then going to justify somehow is the best value, even though it's way beyond what the requirement called for. Why does industry care? So industry should care about two-step sealed bidding because it's, it's efficient in that you build your technical solution and you know it's exactly what you want. And you don't have to go through the whole pricing process if the government's not going to select you. So it's less proposal work to do. The other thing that's important about it is it actually lets you differentiate yourself from other offerers in a way that traditional sealed bidding wouldn't allow because you get to submit a technical proposal that describes your solution in more detail than just, here's my price. And one other bonus from the industry side is you, you can more quickly qualify or disqualify opportunities based on the technical requirement. And what I mean by that is you don't have this objective and threshold issue of, okay, our, our capability meets the objective, but it doesn't quite meet the threshold. So now we have to make a big judgment call and we go through this whole planning exercise of how are we going to write the proposal to get ourselves up to the objectives. It, all that stuff goes away. You look at the requirement and say, yeah, we can meet that. Yep. Or we can't. And going on to the idea of the whole goal is to move faster, right? <laughs> and not just sprint faster, but take take unneeded steps out of the way. And again, we're not trying to make this the standard for every government acquisition. There are things that this does not make sense for, obviously. But the idea here is to be considering the benefits of how doing a two-step sealed bid saves everybody on both sides, time and money. That was a great wrap-up. I like to have good wrap-ups now. See you, Paul. Talk to you later, Kevin. All right, that's it for today's episode. And remember, if you need help with the government market, Join the Skyway Connection community and get access to a team of former government contracting officers. Go to skywayacquisition.com slash connect for more information. So if you're running on a treadmill listening to the podcast and you learned something today, safely take a step off the treadmill, grab your phone, text a friend, and let them know about the contracting officer podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.